This is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome into a brand new edition of the BearCast on Sikkim365.com. Hope you're having a good one wherever you are, whatever you're up to. And whenever you're getting a chance to listen to this podcast, whether live on YouTube Tuesdays at around noon or via the app listening live or just going back uh, via your favorite app source and listening, we do appreciate you and thank you for being with us as we are just around the corner from the kickoff of the regular season after a long wait uh, in which we've been here basically every single week, uh, not just you know popping up all of a sudden. Grayson, this has been a grind of an off season with realignment and recruiting and all sorts of things going on. But man, we are almost there, and uh, we will cover a bit more, you know, a few notes when it comes to fall camp and kind of what's going on, attrition on the roster, things like that. But Texas State, uh, at least. You can kind of sense that uh, it's around the corner, so uh, having fun getting close to that, but uh, how are we doing this week, man? I mean, it's a good week. I think anytime you get to go to fall camp, get to see practice, uh, they had a scrimmage this weekend, obviously that's fun as well. It's like you said, we're just getting closer and closer to football season finally being here, and I think that's the exciting part, really. Um, so now it's just kind of about you know predictions, last-minute thoughts on the team and just kind of seeing how they kind of come together over these next couple weeks before the season actually begins. Uh, I'm Craig Smoke, joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer. Also have Garrett Ross and Jack McKenzie behind the scenes, just letting you know the team and the folks that'll be, you know, riding with you each Tuesday at around noon throughout the uh, regular season, but all throughout the off season as well. And a lot of the things that we'll discuss today, we've at least discussed at some point in time, uh, but there's some updates. Uh, for example, like a player finally on campus or uh, a random making mention of certain things over the weekend. So let's just dive fully into that. Be football heavy, and we'll get to your mailbag to close things out at the end of the show. But um, I guess let's uh, let's kind of start with Aranda and what he talked about because I think that covers a lot of bases of you know just sort of what's going on. They had their first scrimmage, and uh, he seemed upbeat and excited about what he saw. Uh, he talked about the team and the fact that he feels like they're in a pretty good place. I mean, just in general, um, you know, I think it's a mystery of what exactly to expect with this team outside of I think everybody expects you know being comfortably bowl eligible and hopefully being in the mix of some big games and in the mix for the big 12 title Um, but you know to hear positivity and that kind of belief from the head coach isn't always the case and you know sometimes you kind of tamper expectations or whatever but uh, he seems to be pretty happy with where they are uh, seemed excited about what he saw during the scrimmage and said that it was good that you know some players who they've kind of I guess leaned on as leaders throughout the offseason have transferred that play over to the field as well and uh, that included Mike Smith who he raved about the Liberty linebacker transfer I uh, talked about Corey Gordon as well, the young defensive back. Uh, he also made mention of Blake Shapin, Keetron Jackson, uh, the running backs just in general, Dominic Richardson and Richard Reese, 
those were all some names that he brought up from the scrimmage this past weekend, but also said like those are basically the guys that have kind of been leading the way in general. T.J. Franklin, another one of those guys. So I uh, just thought it was interesting to kind of hear him lay out those names and kind of give you uh, some insight onto who sort of the leaders have been and, and who are emerging. I don't think Franklin's a surprise, but, you know, hearing Mike Smith, hearing Corey Gordon, hearing Keetron Jackson, hearing, you know, just hearing some of that, and then hearing, you know, kind of pro- positive updates on Blake Shapin's progress – sort of gives you a better idea of, like, who the faces are in, in a way. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think in general, these are most of the names we've talked about a ton. I agree. Corey Gordon is kind of one that, you know, it's good to hear his name because he's making this transition to star. They really need him to play well. They got him and Bryson Jackson both going to play a lot of time at that position and split reps to some extent. But I, I think in general, when you look at how the star position's been constructed under Dave Aranda, Corey Gordon fits that mold a whole lot better than Bryson Jackson does. And so kind of seeing him have a good day, that that's really nice to see. But the other ones, you know, these are guys we've mentioned since the spring as guys who have been really, really good and have continued to be productive. When you talk about Keetron Jackson, who we've talked about a ton, and a lot of people got, you know, turned off by his uh, spring game performance. And, you know, we just sat here and told everyone, Calm down. It's been every scrimmage this guy has played in, he has been absolutely dominant. And Dave Rand has mentioned his name multiple times, so uh, that's a good one. Dominic Richardson, Richard Reese continue to kind of pull away from the field at the running back position. Um, I'm getting closer and closer to thinking that that group is going to be more like 2021 than 2022. And what I mean by that is, when you look at these two guys, I think there's a realistic chance that they're going to look a lot more like Abram Smith, Tristan Ebner as far as carry count goes compared to last year where you had Squirrel, Quaylen Jones, you know, Tay McWilliams at the beginning of the year, Richard Reese. There's just kind of a mix and match. I think it's going to be closer to 2021. And then, of course, Mike Smith, who's gotten a lot of hype ever since he attended Big 12 Media Days, a guy who's clearly emerging as a leader, but also a very productive player. And then, as you mentioned, TJ Franklin, who's probably had the best camp from spring through fall uh, of anyone on the roster. I mean, the guy's been spectacular, and we've heard all these numbers about, you know, 20 sacks in the spring, and he's continued that in the fall, and I think I'm just eager to actually see that on the field because he's never been that during his time at Baylor. He's never been this high sack number guy, but we've heard his name a ton. I I heard, you know, potential of possibly competing with James Lynch for the all-time sack record. I mean, there's a lot of things out there right now because of how dominant he's been that make you go, okay, is TJ Franklin really turning this major corner or is this something we need to be concerned about with the offensive line? I think that's another area that I, you know, I'm kind of trying to think about as well, but in general, great to hear that for TJ in his last year. Yeah, no, speaking of James Lynch, uh, sad to hear that he's got a torn ACL and that he will miss the upcoming NFL season, which was expected to be the final year of his rookie contract with the Vikings. So that puts him in a tough spot. But obviously, you got to rehab before you start worrying about all the rest of the you know, career and contracts and things that come with that. But it was a big year because it was the final year of his rookie deal. And now instead of you know playing to earn another opportunity with – either Minnesota or, you know, a big contract elsewhere or something. He's going to be rehabbing a torn ACL for the next, you know, several months. So shout out to James Lynch. Don't know if he listens to this pod or not, but I'm sure some former player does and they can pass along our well wishes because yeah. I just, I think that news stinks, but hate to hear part it. of the deal. And uh, yeah, his sacks record from just a few years ago still stands and, um, 
if TJ Franklin goes and flirts with that and beats that, then yeah, that would that would obviously be a major story because he's not someone you think of as Mr. Sacks Master by any means. But good to hear that there's some positive, you know, uh, of reviews coming out of his game because he is a longtime leader now that really needs to take that to a, another level this season. So um, those are names you've heard, but just to kind of hear Randa reinforce that, like, yeah, uh, Corey Gordon, TJ Franklin, and Mike Smith are basically our leaders on defense. Uh, Blake Shape and Keytron Jackson. Um, and then, you know, like a sprinkling of whether it's Dom Richardson or uh, Richard Reese or whatever, kind of leading the way on offense, but uh, particularly on defense. I know there's been a lot of discussion. I think uh, there was an article on, you know, Corey Gordon and just kind of his fit and all of that. Um, but the Mike Smith reviews are kind of getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when they went and added all of the players that they added, which was double-digit numbers of players in the offseason, uh, they were adding guys that – literally every position group. Um, and I think all of them were addressed in some form or fashion. I mean, even the kicking game had a, a transfer addition. Except so for safety. Uh, yeah, except yeah. for safety, I guess. But every other group, and if you want to lump that in with defensive backs, then technically that got checked as well. But, yeah, I guess safety was the only one that wasn't officially addressed. Uh, but, you know, it, I guess depending on what player we're talking about, varying degrees of responses, but – Mike Smith coming in from Liberty, I don't remember that getting much of a a real hero's welcome or anything like that. It was just kind of like, okay, yeah, you know, sure, we need linebacker help. Let's add this guy. I don't think much was really known about him because I don't know how many people really keep up with Liberty football. I won't pretend to be some massive follower. So I had to learn a little bit about Mike Smith, but... Man, um, if you didn't know much about him, which I think is the case for most people, you certainly had to have been impressed. And even if you did, you had to be impressed by the amount of praise that Dave Aranda has had for him really ever since he arrived. He's been a constant. He was a Big 12 Media Days invite. um, And Aranda had nothing but positive things to say about him once again after the scrimmage. He called it the Mike Smith Show on defense. So, man, uh, what is your expectation for Smith? And then what do you make of just kind of uh, the impact he's made early on here? I think it's important to remember that this is a guy that played Juco football for three years. I mean, this guy really grinded to get to the point where he could actually play Division One football, ended up at Liberty, and Liberty fans may not even know him that well because he was only there for a year. I mean, so this is a guy who's been on a journey for sure to get to this point where he's a Power 5 player. And I think the biggest thing about his recruitment with Baylor and maybe why it wasn't, you know, I don't think people talked about it quite enough, but I think the general consensus is this. Baylor had another linebacker transfer who was supposed to come visit the same the weekend that he ended up visiting. The moment he entered the portal, they canceled the other linebacker's visit and got him on campus immediately to go on a visit. This was a guy that they made a priority at the linebacker position immediately once he entered. Um, I think that speaks volumes about what they thought about him, about what they uh, gathered from the Liberty coaching staff and everything along those lines about the kind of person he is, the kind of leader that he is. Um, And in general, I think it's a great fit. And, you know, ultimately as time progresses, the more you hear his name and the more you hear about him as a leader, but then also the production on the football side of things. I mean, Dave Randa mentions him every single time that we talk to him just about, man, Mike Smith had 16 tackles in this one. He had 11 tackles in this one. It just seems like the guy's making plays all over the place. And it's really interesting because I think going into this year, a lot of people thought, okay, Matt Jones is time to take this big step. And maybe it still is that time, but I think in general, we've 
heard a lot more about Mike Smith than any other linebacker, and that's very intriguing because it is a position that I do have some question marks about. Yeah, I think we might have heard about him more than anybody on defense other than T.J. Franklin. Um, And I guess, you know, Corey Gordon would maybe start to be up there here of late. But again, that goes back to those are the three guys that he mentioned as kind of the faces of the defense or the leaders of the defense in so many ways. I think the Corey Gordon one is more because he's made a move and that he's kind of new as opposed to dominating every time that he plays. Does that make sense? Yeah, like yeah. It's a little different. Yeah, no, he's coming into his own. They're excited about him, and he's kind of growing, and, mm-hmm. you know, there's uh, growing anticipation because of what they're seeing, whereas, yeah, Mike Smith's been doing it, like he said, ever since the third day of camp, basically, yeah. and he wasn't talking about fall camp. He was talking about spring ball. So, um, yeah, he he's come in and been a house on fire. So uh, if you're looking for somebody kind of new to, to keep track of or if you're just, you know, Hey, what to make note of, uh, Mike Smith is certainly a name to make note of, uh, and that was just reinforced over the weekend after hearing Aranda post-scrimmage. I uh, won't unpack everything because everything kind of leads into other things as well, but he also did talk about the running game and uh, just address the fact that Quaylen Jones is no longer on the team, which has been the case now for, well, he's been off the team for a while, yeah. but Aranda hasn't talked about it because, well, we just talked to him very sparingly, and the news really didn't, uh, get out there um, with Quaylen. I mean, that wasn't up until a couple of weeks ago, really, that that was reported, I First guess. First day of practice because he wasn't on the roster. And he oh, wasn't yeah. So that was about yeah. two weeks ago. Fall camp. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was two and a half, three weeks ago when uh, they kicked off fall camp. So that's still relatively new, and he hadn't talked about it. So he got asked about it. And uh, just, you know, basically it's Quaylen uh, that, you know, can look in the mirror and say, like, hey, this is why this didn't work out. And, you know, that's unfortunate. That's part of life. You make decisions. Decisions go certain ways. And then there's results that come from that. And the result of, uh, you know, all this is that Quaylen's uh, no longer on the team. But, you know, he wished him well and said that they tried to work with him through the issues and uh, just weren't able able to do so. And that's, you know, sometimes what happens. Uh, so, you know, he certainly, you know, wasn't wishing him ill will or anything like that. But I do, you know, appreciate how positive he seemed to sound about the fact that, you know, yeah, he's gone, but we like everybody else in the room as well. Uh, he talked about Bryson Washington, who was noticeably absent from practice the past couple of times they've had open sessions. And I say noticeably because you look at the group and it's very small when he's not out there. And when Quaylen Jones was no longer out there, all of a sudden you're down two guys and there's five guys, four of them are scholarships, and you're going, man, I don't know if that's going to cut it all year long, if, especially if you look at last year and how quickly that sort of fizzled when one guy got hurt. It was like, boom, domino effect. So was wondering about Bryson Washington, and he addressed that and said that he's working through an injury, but that they expect him back by the second scrimmage. So that's just here in a few days, and uh, that was certainly good news. Um, but, you know, mentioned uh, Dawson Pendergrass, mentioned Jordan Jenkins, mentioned uh, Dominic Richardson, Richard Reese, and then you had Washington in the mix, and he said he feels good about that running back room. So uh, how are you feeling uh, about just kind of everything revolving around that group and um, do you feel like he does that they've got a solid, I guess, fivesome that they can uh, rely on, even if it's a, a bit of a younger leaning group? Uh, you know, certainly bringing Richardson in, bring some uh, veteran leadership that otherwise uh, is not really there. That's a lot of young guys filling out that backfield. Right. And I mean, as I mentioned, I, I'm getting closer and closer to thinking that this is more 2021 than 2022 as far as how these carries are going to be split up. Um, and, 
you know, we say, oh, it's very hard to stay healthy, and it definitely is at the running back position. But 2021, Abram Smith and Tristan Ebner basically played every single game. Now, they were older guys, so you maybe anticipate Dominic Richardson could hold up that long. But, you know, Richard Reese is still just a true sophomore, so still a very young guy uh, in his own right. But I think as you get deeper down the running back room, you see some names. And Jordan Jenkins, it's kind of one of those things where it's time for him to at least be able to take over a role if something does happen to one of the top top uh, running backs on the roster, I'm not anticipating him to get a ton of carries unless injury does happen, but I do think it's time for him to be ready in a situation like that. Um, I heard Dawson Pendergrass played really, really well uh, during the scrimmage this weekend. I uh, heard some really, really good things about him. I've heard the word underrated with him uh, in the past, which makes a lot of sense. He was from a small high school in Mineola. Absolutely dominated that high school, though, and was a phenomenal player uh, in his own right. And now he's just playing more full-time running back, whereas at his high school, the guy was taking direct snaps and just running from basically a wildcat position then throwing the football at times as well. Uh, But he apparently is playing really, really well at this moment. But like you said, Bryson Washington was the guy I was most excited about coming into camp as possibly being the third running back. So they definitely need him to be healthy. He's a very good player, was awesome at Franklin. And now as a true freshman, you know, he's got an opportunity to potentially work his way into that third running back spot, which would be huge for him. So yeah, need to get him healthy for sure yeah I mean just good to see him um, you know kind of shine some praise on the younger guys who we haven't seen anything from or very little from in the case of Jordan Jenkins nothing from Pendergrass obviously because he's new um, as far as you know official game action so uh, Bryson Washington also brand new and good chance we'll see all three of those guys at various points but yeah it'll be Reese and Richardson but sounds like everybody better be ready to strap him up and uh, be ready to go and he did make mention that with Quaylen gone like Bryson Washington's gonna have to fill in some of that role Richard Reese is gonna be leaned on heavier to fill in some of that role and he's not by any means irreplaceable so that's certainly doable but it does sound kind of all hands on deck from that running back room but uh, good to hear about Bryson Washington and that it's nothing serious and that you know he's going to be back before you know it um, I guess elsewhere um, you know he touched on realignment we don't really have to talk about that here because it was just more of you know him being a west coast guy and he's Happy for the Big 12, also sad for the Pac-12 and just kind of for football history. And he also made mention of, you know, just as a coach that you could tell it bothers him like it probably bothers a lot of other guys of just sort of the certain way things are working where, you know, you want to be able to recruit guys, hold on to them, coach them, you know, go through life with them, do all these things. And now it makes it almost impossible because, you know, you can't even bench a guy before he jumps in the portal. It's, It's just... You know, you can't even do one thing here or there before they're like the conferences are shifting dramatically. And so it's it sounds like he's frustrated, not to a point where it's going to affect anything, but it was interesting to hear him kind of talk about like, yeah, this is all good, especially for the Big 12. But as a Pac fan growing up, it was a little bit bittersweet to see uh, recent events and, and always good to get his thoughts on just topics off the field as much as uh, he's fun to listen to talk about things on the field uh, as well. Had a lot of praise for Blake Shapin. Uh, that was another thing coming out of the media session um, and just kind of talked about how he's continued to progress and taking the necessary steps. Um, but those were basically the highlights, I think, of uh, his conversation. So scrimmage-wise, what would you like to discuss or what else maybe did you hear or something that he had to say stands out from this past weekend? 
I mean, the Blake Shapin thing, that's obviously great to hear. He's been very vocal about Blake Shapin all offseason, just the progress that he's made as a leader, also as a football player. Um, he mentioned scrambling, which was rather interesting because after last year, I you know did not exactly get a ton of confidence in Blake Shapin's ability to run the football. Um, but I do think if he becomes a little bit more... Um, I don't know if the word smart is correct, but maybe a little less uh, risk adverse because he really did take some opportunities that ended up, you know, not being very good for Baylor last year. When you talk about the fumbles, you talk about the big hit against West Virginia, you talk about him lowering his shoulder at times and then sliding short of the sticks other times. It was kind of a mixed bag. I would say. So it's good to see that maybe he's improved in that area um, because if he gets a better feel for it, I do think that could be somewhat a productive part of the uh, the offense. Uh, he also mentioned third downs. They were not great on third down last year. So to hear him converting third downs is very uh, nice to hear as well. So I think you add that all together and you continue to see this transformation of Blake Shapin, a guy who uh, is playing a lot better football than he did last year. And I think a guy who's got his confidence back. Yeah, I feel like he's going to be a big factor. I mean, duh, to say the least, the starting quarterback will be a big factor, but I think he's kind of like the swinging one way or the other factor for this team in, in so many ways of, you know, however the wind's blowing with him is, is kind of going to be the direction they're probably heading. Um, and so to hear all of the praise, all the changes, all the maturity – uh, growth and things like that. I'm fascinated to see him finally out there and see how different it looks. And uh, I know people aren't probably trying to get their hopes up too high, but it's been very positive, and you just hope that it translates on the field because the last thing you want is it to kind of go right away and it looks kind of the same as it did last year, and then you're like, all right, so 12 games of this. Huh? You know, I just – I can already see it, that first <laughs> interception throw. You know what I mean? But if he can get off to a good start and – build up some confidence early, I do think that would be huge. And it sounds as though he's doing everything possible. I mean, outside of actually going and doing it on the field in a real-life game, I don't know what else he could do at this point based on everything that we've heard. Um, so that's all that really remains uh, at this stage, and that's just a couple of weeks away, obviously. Uh, elsewhere, he did uh, mention Jackie Marshall out for the year uh, after – uh, injuring his uh, knee, right? Torn ACL yep. for Jackie Marshall, uh, who's been out uh, really since spring ball, but that news just kind of finally getting out there. And, um, you know, as a part of that, he mentioned that was, you know, basically the reason they went and got Justin Sambu from Maine, uh, who now takes some of the role that Jackie Marshall would have had otherwise. So um, there he talked about Sambu a little bit and, and just confirmed the Marshall news, but uh, also some news uh, that he wasn't able to confirm just yet, but that uh, has taken place as far as a big transfer note that uh, people were kind of waiting on to drop. And, well, it's uh, it's dropped now, has it not, with a Johnny Carter? Uh Somewhat, he hasn't okay. practiced yet, so still waiting on that. Still, still waiting on there. that part of it. But he was at the scrimmage on Saturday in a watching capacity, is what it seems. Uh, that was confirmed through his Instagram posted on his Insta story, which honestly is the first step, right? Justin Sambu posted a picture of him at Baylor. Then the very next day, he was practicing. So I do think this is one of those things where he should be practicing. I would guess in the next week uh, would be my anticipation there. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's still big news. Like, the, he didn't just show sure. up to just show up. Like, he showed up because he's getting ready to play for Baylor, right? Like, that's that's what you can take away from that. Um, so, yeah, that that's huge news. I know everyone's been waiting on this situation to clear up with the Johnny Carter to actually get on campus. Um, but once again, I'll reiterate, 
The staff was prepared for this. The staff knew this was going to take a while. They knew he had to complete another semester uh, of classes at Utah State. And so it was going to take a while before he actually enrolled at Baylor. So this, again, was not unexpected, and they took him regardless. So they feel really good about what he can bring to the table. Uh, The Jackie Marshall thing, though, I do want to talk a little bit about that. Um, So he didn't play in the spring game. And there was, I I really feel like there was kind of, I don't think anyone knew what exactly had happened before the spring game. Uh, But then after the spring game, more reports started coming out, I think, and people started to get an idea of what was going on there. And then you show up at fall camp and he's not on the field. And that's when you start kind of the red flag starts showing up and you start going, okay, how hurt is he actually? And so then you actually got the confirmation from Dave Aranda. This was something that uh, we alluded to uh, at the beginning of fall camp and we alluded to, I believe we talked a little bit about it last week as well. So uh, hard to see. It's really tough to see this because Jackie was set to have a really big year. But it also, like you said, speaks to the reason why they brought in Justin Sambu to come in. Um, And right now, I I do want to mention this because it's rather interesting. There was this thought process that it's going to be TJ Franklin and then Justin Sambu at the same position. But the more that this is kind of going on after Sambu just arrived, I do think that there's a chance that it's going to be more uh, Gabe Hall with Justin Sambu as his primary backup. TJ Franklin with Trey Wilson as his primary backup. Uh, and then, of course, you got the nose tackle position featuring Trevin Maya. But just putting that out there, that it is going to, it does cause a little bit of a shakeup and it does move people around a little bit to get your best guys in the two deep. Um, but yeah, just something to monitor. Really sad for Jackie. He was poised to have a really, really good year. Yeah, he was. And, um, you know, they did. Uh a fine job of keeping kind of tight-lipped on that. And um, like you said, there were little murmurs, but, I mean, no outlet. I mean, whether TV, radio, print, whatever, I mean, nobody had any idea until they finally broke that. So, um, yeah, to to learn that was really unfortunate. And um, he was somebody who, yeah, had a lot of hype for and brings a bit of energy and excitement and uh, just will now have to go to to the rehab uh, route and uh, hopefully – you know, navigate that successfully and as quickly as possible. But unfortunate that he won't be making an impact uh, this year in, in any capacity other than just cheering on his teammates and, and doing what he can from uh, the sidelines. Uh, so, yeah, got that note and uh, and how it related to Justin Sambu. But as Johnny Carter, uh, that's it's big, you know, big cornerback, uh, cornerback, right, mm-hmm. um, transfer that uh, has just – you know, been a story of just sort of patiently waiting, I guess, to get him on campus, and now you're getting down to the nitty-gritty of it, so it would be huge to finally get him into full swing, but it was pro- uh, positive progress to at least see him on campus, as you mentioned, uh, this past weekend. So um, that's a lot of notes from just this yeah. past weekend um, and, and just sort of unpacking everything and sort of where we are. Um, what else from uh, the scrimmage or Dave Aranda or just – things that maybe you've heard before we move on here, would you like to add, if anything? I think those were the biggest ones that I've heard. I I think outside of that, the injuries haven't really taken a huge toll at the moment. I mean, obviously, these are pretty big ones that we've mentioned, but it seems like they're relatively healthy to start fall camp, knock on wood. But uh, outside of that, yeah, I mean, practices have been really good. Everything seems very focused. They've been using the outside and the indoor quite a bit. Um, and yeah, I Which mean, the indoor looks great by the way, the it does. 100 yards, yeah. it looks like a still construction project from the outside because it is, but, um, I'm interested to see how they gussy it up inside because mm-hmm. it was kind of plain 
for the longest time, and they really did need to redo the indoor in some capacity. Like, if they weren't going to rebuild it, they needed to just put a fresh coat of paint on it, I felt like, because you'd walk in there and it's like white walls, which is fine, but they had these banners of draft picks, and those were great too. But after a few years, and I've been around long enough now to have seen, like, the sun bleached out the colors of the hanging oh, yes. murals, you know, the... There was cobwebs all over the place, yeah. you know, because it's just, you know, like nobody's going up there and cleaning that on a regular basis. Uh, the white was kind of getting dingy. You know what I mean? It just it got older. It's like a house, you know, after you need to put a fresh coat of paint on it. So I, I felt like the indoor was getting to the point of where it was pretty plain. It was kind of aging. And, you know, especially in comparison to a lot of the other facilities you see now, like it was not in anywhere close to the league that it probably should be in. Um, but now it's 100 yards. It already looks a world different just because it's a lot a lot more breathable, just mm-hmm. being much bigger. And uh, I'm curious to see how they kind of decorate it up and paint it up and do all of that. But And the lobby will be different entering. That will look a lot better. Yeah. They'll have a sky bridge from there to There's a the lot of work still ops. to be done. But, oh, yeah. yeah, the sky bridge, like it's hard to even imagine what that's going to look like without mm-hmm. seeing it. Uh, so that's that's something that I think is going to be very cool, but it's kind of hard to envision what that will actually look like. Um, and yeah, there's that work. There's the full lobby that they'll be doing as well, but, um, that's coming along. And then, you know, it's hard to really see anything other than a skeleton right now of the actual football facility of what will be the football operations center. But when you stand out there where typically the players run out onto the field, um, which has kind of changed over the years, it's dependent on construction. It's dependent on who the coach was. But typically where they run up uh, and have since I got here, since Browse was the coach, that little hill, um, it's a lot different, man. And when you run out of that field, you see the football ops center in front of you and this long indoor now to the right of you, and it, it looks like a little bit of a different world. It's going to be – it's going to feel like a real football facility when it's all said and done in kind of its own little area, which I know has been the long overdue goal. But uh, just kind of cool to see those projects coming along and see – how different they're going to make everything feel. Yeah, it absolutely needed it, and it's going to be great. I mean, if it's anything comparable to the Welcome Center, then it's going to be beautiful because that turned out extremely well uh, when I got to go see that. So, yeah, they needed this. I mean, to catch up and keep up with everyone in the Big 12, you got to make these changes and, you know, pour in uh, the necessary means to make this happen. And that's exactly what Baylor did. I mean, if you want to be a big time football school in the new big 12, you know, you got to have the facilities for it. And I think Baylor's definitely going to have those in the near future. Yeah. It's so it's cool to see if you're out there in the near future, you'll definitely see a difference, uh, but you'll also be able to tell that there's a long way to go. I know the indoor still has what, like another, when is that going to be finally done? Like, not for football season, obviously, no. but, like, I, I don't even remember the timeline on that, but it's still got a ways I, to go. I think it's summer. Like, I, next summer, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they'll practice in there, but it's not anywhere close to being done. But it's it's noticeable if you're over on campus, all the work that's being done. I mean, mm-hmm. it's hard not to miss. And when it's all finished, it's going to feel like a brand-new world versus what uh, kind of has been in place for a long time now. So excited to see that continue on. Uh, meanwhile, one thing that's going to drum up again as the season begins and games begin is recruiting. And uh, on the recruiting front, obviously, 
Uh, these last few months have been very busy just in terms of the Justin Sambus and the Johnny Carters and those guys, but they have also in that time gotten to work on next year's class. We've talked a bit about that. It seems like uh, there's little stretches where like every week there's a new commit we were talking about, but just to kind of bring everybody up to snuff on where we are now. It's been a dead period. Had the season starting here in a couple weeks. Uh, let's reset the table on where the Bears sit and kind of what to expect here moving forward. Right. So in the month of June, uh, they had three official visits. Of those 20 prospects, 12 are committed to Baylor, five are committed elsewhere, and three of those remain uncommitted at this current moment. That gets you to that 20 number. And so basically the reason why I say that is because this Baylor staff has essentially really focused on those official visits and those prospects who attended the official visits outside of a couple newer ones uh, here and there, which happened last week. And we mentioned them, Connor Hawkins and Kyler Beatty. Uh, neither of them took official visits. They will uh, probably at the end of the year. But outside of that, there's three remaining guys who are uncommitted. And it's NFL Academy offensive lineman uh, Daniel Akinkunmi uh, out of the NFL Academy in London. Uh, then you have Orem High School, uh, tight end Roger Saliapaga uh, out of the Utah area, and then Fort Bend Marshall safety Josh Lair. Uh, all three of those guys are big-time prospects. All three of them are four-star guys in my eyes and guys who are going to be fights to the finish. Uh, Daniel Akinkunmi is basically the sole target on the offensive line for Baylor at the moment. Uh, he's going to take his official visit to Oklahoma the first weekend of September. Uh, and then it seems like it's a head-to-head battle between uh, Oklahoma and Baylor. Uh, right now, Baylor's in the lead. Baylor's in a good spot, uh, but you never know what happens with that official visit. He also got an offer recently from Miami. I know Clemson's looking at him and Penn State as well. So something to keep an eye on there, but definitely a, a priority target for Baylor. Uh, then you look at Roger Saliapaga uh, out of Utah. Uh, Baylor missed on Dylan Hip, who chose Ole Miss over Baylor. So now the focus is all on Saliapaga at, ver- at this very moment. Baylor made his top 10. Uh, That top 10 includes Utah, Oregon, Tennessee, Alabama, Washington, Auburn, UCLA. Um, He also got an offer from A&M in Colorado in the recent week. So a very good prospect. And one of those guys who, when you turn on his film, it just pops. I mean, this guy as a junior had over 1,200 yards receiving and 14 touchdowns as a tight end. Uh, He almost looks like just a big wide receiver, to be honest, at 6'5", 210 pounds. He, again, absolute priority, has a great relationship with Eric Mateos, Jeff Grimes, uh, and A.J. Stewart uh, because his brother actually played at BYU uh, when those three were there. So keep an eye on him. He would be an absolutely massive get. Then the other one is Josh Lair. Uh, he took official visits to LSU, Texas, Washington. He's also got interest in a and uh, I believe that's his top five at this current moment. Uh, he's a four-star guy. has over 28 offers. He's been the top safety prospect on the board for Baylor for a long time. Long time and he's a guy they've been recruiting really hard so we'll see with him uh he's probably the biggest long shot of the group but they're still in it so yeah that's kind of where they're at right now those three guys are official visit guys who have not made a decision one way or another and then i bet they'll have another official visit probably at the end of the year maybe a couple i haven't heard anything about having one during the season quite yet and usually baylor stays away from that because they want the focus to be all on the recruits instead of having to deal with a game weekend and maybe not giving your recruits as much attention as you would like all right so uh something to keep track or some things to keep track of recruiting wise and that will ramp up obviously as the season starts to get underway we'll start to be talking about official visits and 
guys coming in for games and all that kind of jazz. So uh, just another thing that's going to start to spice back up here as uh, we move along in the calendar. Um, but, man, you can kind of feel it all rumbling up and getting ready to just explode and, you know, be uh, the, the busy several months that we all kind of circle the calendar for, uh, whether it's on the field, off the field, recruiting, uh, what have you. Uh, all of us starting to kind of get in a row uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun here moving forward. Uh, some of the things, kind of the little nuggets dropped along the way. Top 25 poll came out as well. And uh, just kind of use this to transition, I guess, from the mailbag, unless you have anything else we want to get into. Um, but uh, the top 25 poll, Georgia on top, no surprise there. Um, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, uh, rounding out that AP top 25. No surprise there either. But just want to make mention of the... Big 12 teams, you got Texas at number 11, the top-ranked Big 12 squad. You've got uh, Kansas State at number 16, TCU at 17, Oklahoma at 20, and that is your Big 12-ranked teams heading into the season. Texas, K-State, TCU, and Oklahoma. Texas Tech was the highest vote-getter, not ranked in the top 25, so they were right there knocking on the door as a full offseason of hype uh, starts to come to a head for them. And uh, that'll certainly be, you know, every every team's an interesting story because they've had their offseason storylines, but certainly Tech's received a lot of hype, a lot of dark horse to the point where you're not even a dark horse anymore uh, kind of talk. And so there you have them right on the edge of the top 25. Um, and that will be uh, certainly something to watch. Kansas also receiving votes although not nearly enough to get into the poll itself. Baylor got three votes uh, for the top 25, not nearly enough. Uh, they need about 140 more to even uh, get into the top 25, uh, but three votes there for them. And uh, that was about it as far as votes go. Wasn't expecting them to be in the preseason top 25 and think it'll take them, uh, you know, certainly beating Utah in week two and, kind of getting a little bit of a run to probably garner the respect. And speaking of Utah, I mean, even if they were to beat them, and let's cross that bridge when we get there, but uh, there might be a caveat because we don't know the status of Cam Rising and how healthy he will even be at that point. But they need to take care of Texas State first before getting too far ahead of themselves. Um, but that game uh, will be interesting. And, uh, yeah, just kind of – Kind of where you'd about expect them to be, right there in the middle of the Big 12 pack. Not a lot of expectations, uh, also a little bit of respect, and we'll just see on the other end what it actually turns out to be. Yeah, I mean, this is basically all you could have expected. I mean, if you look at the Big 12 preseason media poll, these were the teams ranked ahead of Baylor uh, in those media polls, and so it makes complete sense that they are where they are. Um, you know, Texas Tech, once again, getting some hype with being, you know, team number 26 as far as votes go. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is a good spot for Baylor. If Baylor goes out, beats Texas State and Utah, they're probably a top 20 team, maybe even top 15 um, if you're able to beat Utah. So again, they got to go out and handle their business. And if they do that, they'll be ranked very quickly. And that once again, these preseason polls, they really don't matter all that much um, unless you're you know, trying to find your way up the pole towards the end of the year, that's where they really start to matter. But right now, I mean, it, it's not a big deal. It's about what we expected, I would say, going into the season. You got Texas, K-State, TCU, Oklahoma, kind of the four that I, I do feel like have separated themselves a little bit with Texas Tech and Baylor kind of right there being that top six that's pretty clearly formed in my eyes. 
Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And there will be surprises one way or the other. Like, is Oklahoma really that good? Uh, or are they more trending downward like some people think? Um, is Texas really that good? Or are they overblown again? I, I think they're for real this time around just because I think the talent level is pretty undeniable. Like, when you look at it player for player, position for position, I don't know how they're not your, your favorites other than you just – trust TCU's coach uh, or K-State's coaching or talent or whatever. Or you don't trust Texas. Or you don't trust Texas. But, like, it's kind of like whether you do or don't, like, that team on their roster, you're like, man, if you don't, like, go and flirt with winning the Big 12, I just, to me, that has to be a massive disappointment. Like, there had to be multiple injuries because this isn't one of those, like, oh, they Texas again. Like, no, like, really, they should be in the mix. And if they're not, then, then something weird happened there that will be, very interesting to talk about. Um, you know, K-State obviously has huge expectations now. Uh, TCU not really expected to miss much of a beat uh, despite losing tons and tons of talent uh, because of the transfer portal additions and just the belief in Sonny Dykes and what he's doing. Uh, also change at OC now. So um, a lot of fascinating storylines that we're going to see finally come to a head after months of discussion, and I, I cannot wait to see what all that looks like on the other side. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this, Craig. If you're kind of a Baylor fan looking at the preseason poll and you want to come away with one takeaway, it's that the Big 12 is completely open. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't sure. have a single top 10 team. That should tell you quite a bit about how open this league is and kind of the expectations, I think, from the media and pretty much anyone who covers the Big 12 is that the winner of the Big 12, it seems more and more likely, is probably going to have two losses by the end of the year. Is What it seems like to me is kind of the vibe that I'm getting. We'll see if that comes to fruition. It seems like more times than not, someone goes into the Big 12 championship 11-1 and one or something along those lines. But uh, I do think it's a very wide-open league, which gives uh, Baylor a chance. Yes, it does. So, uh, man, it's going to be a lot of fun, like I said, and I uh, just can't wait for it to get here. But in the meantime, we do have a couple more shows to go, and uh, we do have a couple more mailbags to go as a result of that as well. And let's get into the mailbag to close things out this week. Uh, Scotty B., the Baylor King, speaking of Utah, you think Utah is ranked too high, which uh, right now they were at, what, uh, number 14 in the country and again, there's a lot of questions about Cam Rising. It's debatable because of the quarterback situation, Scotty continues. Uh, it's not just because of Cam Rising's status either. Utah quarterback Brandon Rose hurt in a scrimmage recently. Might have been the starter if Rising can't play week one. They technically only have four healthy quarterbacks, including a walk-on. Three of those four are either freshmen or redshirt freshmen, while the other one is a junior. So all of that to say, they've got questions at quarterback. And again, Baylor doesn't play them until week two, so they've got to beat Texas State first. But um, your thoughts on Utah, do you think they're ranked too high and in particular because of the questions around Cam Rising? Yeah, and Utah's got to beat Florida as well, which is another kind of part of this equation. But, you know, I I think it's pretty foolish to say they're ranked too high. I mean, this is a program that's been extremely consistent under Kyle Whittingham, and I trust their defense to be phenomenal once again. I mean, this is a group that just goes out and they win football games, period. I mean, they've gone into uh, New Year's Six Bowls and looked really, really good, and they've competed against everyone in that conference at an extremely high level. So they deserve to be a top 15 team, no doubt about it. I think if there were no questions about Cam rising at all, they'd probably deserve to be borderline top 10 in my eyes. But So I do think that is put into this equation a little bit. Um, but in general, no, they're not ranked too high. They're right where they should be, and I think they're going to be really good once again. But yes, 
in general, as far as the ceiling goes, you are correct. If he's not healthy, yeah, that that might cause problems. But I don't think you can go into the season just assuming someone, you know, will not be healthy for an entire year. I I think that would be kind of a, a fool's errand. Yeah, and as you said, I mean, I'm thinking about it just from the Baylor perspective, but they do play Florida, so they might not even be ranked by the time they play Baylor in only week two. Just um, depends on, on what happens there in week one and, and no idea really on, on where his status is, although it's very much up in the air. Um, just on the surface, it seems, uh, right now. Big Cheese 83, it seems like everything we've heard about T.J. Franklin since spring has been astonishingly positive. Is it unreasonable to believe he could have a double-digit sack season this year? And We kind of talked about that earlier. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that I would say it's unreasonable, but I, I definitely think it's a long shot. Even though he's had this amazing spring and this amazing fall, getting t- double-digit sacks is really, really difficult. Like, I, I forgot the stat that I looked up. I'll look it up here in a minute. But there were only like, I think, like seven or eight guys last year who had 10 sacks. And, you know, the guy who went number two overall or number three overall in the NFL draft, Will Anderson, only ended up with exactly 10 sacks. And he's a phenomenal player. And so I, I think, you know, saying eight, I think eight is kind of my like high end expectation for TJ, but it's not impossible to think that, Hey, he had this huge turnaround and maybe, you know, ends up with double digit sacks. I I guess it's possible. It's possible. I wouldn't bet my uh, paycheck on it though, or or even other reasonable amounts of money uh, because that is, it's almost one a game and uh, he's not exactly like Mr. Sack master back there. So yeah, I think it's possible if he were to get double digit sacks, I think that would be, uh, pretty incredible, uh, and certainly would uh, be a, an exceptional year for him. But uh, yeah, not banking on it. Uh, his career one, one and a half, four, and one and a half. So to get double digits would mean a skyrocketing of his stats, and you know, getting six more than the four he got in his career high year two years ago. So that's that's a that's a lot of. Uh, of extra sacks than we're used to. For sure. And that four-sack year, if he would have been playing full-time, there's a chance that maybe he would have gotten to, you know, six or maybe like the eight that I'm talking about. But there were only 14 guys last year who had double-digit sacks. That tells you how hard it is to actually get 10 sacks. To be a top 14 guy in sacks, that's... That's a lot to expect from, like you said, a guy who doesn't have that many sacks in his career. He's got eight in his career. Yeah. So if he were to get double digits, I mean, beat his entire career in one year. But I understand your point, and, uh, you know, let's see. I mean, there's certainly the hype and the belief and in, in the progress he's made this year that they think he's, you know, ready to take a step. So maybe uh, maybe he does, and maybe that's where we see it the most. Um, thank you for the question. B. Lantham or Blantham for have reports about the men's basketball trip changed your outlook on the upcoming season? I didn't talk about this, but uh, men's and women's been on their foreign trips, uh, playing exhibitions and whatnot. And uh, has any of that uh, changed your outlook uh, on the men's basketball team uh, here? You know, for twenty three, twenty four, it hasn't changed anything for me. It's more so just solidified what I thought this team was going to be. I think they're going to be a top two team in the Big Twelve. Uh, the them in Kansas, I think, are both going to be borderline top five teams, top ten for sure. And they're both going to be really, really good. And Baylor's going to have a great opportunity to potentially be a one seed, potentially win the Big Twelve. And I, I just think this trip just shows you kind of. You know, when I saw these transfers come in and really looked at their game and how it all meshed together, and then you add in Jacoby Walter, who I viewed as a really, really good player, like 
you know, top 10 type guy, maybe even top five in his class, that's come to fruition as well. You bring back Jalen Bridges. I just think this is a veteran team with a bunch of parts that really make sense. And so, yeah, I think it's more so solidified than change things. Do you think the O-line will be better in 24 than this year's line? So next year being better than yeah. this year. Um, I think they're going to be about the same. I mean, you're replacing Clark Barrington next year, and I, I think he's got a chance to be an all-Big 12 type guy. I, I really think he's going to be phenomenal for them at center, and you know maybe you're able to find a transfer. But if I look at the roster right now, I'm not taking into account adding a high-end transfer, which if that happened, that could change things, right? But right now, if I just look at it and look at the turnover going into next year, I think this offensive line will be... Um, as good as 2024, and I would probably bet on them being a little bit better. But I, I think it's going to be close, and Eric Mateos, of course, gives them a chance to have a top three offense line in the Big 12 every single year. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know hard to say right now. There's just a lot of moving parts, but uh, I do think that the angle that you're taking is probably about the right angle for right now. It's like, yeah, you know, they'll, they'll lose some talent again, but as long as you have Mateos, you feel pretty good about things. And again, like... You know, who even knows at this point where he is? I mean, I mean, I know you want to just assume, but it's uh, it's coaching college football, and there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, on paper, uh, in the same vicinity, but let's let's get there uh, first because that is a long ways away. And I, I'm curious about the 23 line. Are they going to be better than last year's line, even though they lost a lot of talent off of that line? Uh, we'll find out soon enough. Do you think Sawyer Robinson, Robertson – would wait his turn if Blake Shapin played out his eligibility as the starter. Thanks. Well, thank you for the questions. Which We've, means that uh, Blake starts this year and next year, and then Sawyer's finally one year. the uh, starter with one year to go. Yeah, I, I think that he's very loyal to Baylor, and I do think that he came here with the intention of this being his last stop. And, and he's also transferred once already. He transferred once, so, I mean, but he'll graduate. He'll graduate next year, so he could he could transfer again if he wanted to. I, I really think that if he loses the job to Blake Shapin next year, it's going to be really hard in my eyes. It's hard for me to think that he would stay if he graduates before next season, that he would stay. But, I mean, that that's a total guessing game. I know right now he's completely bought into the Baylor program. He's been a great leader in that room and a guy who brings just – so much positive energy to the group as well. Um, but right now, I, I just think I think the way that I'm trending is that he would probably look to start somewhere else for two years as opposed to Baylor for just one. Yeah, and the way I'm looking at it is, uh, I mean, I understand the question and uh, the thinking about the future, but let's see Blake Shapin actually be that guy first um, before oh, yeah. worrying too much about what Sawyer Robertson might do in a year from now because uh, Blake Shapin hasn't even – you know, secured the job for this entire year, much less for next year already. But I do understand, like, that's that's the point of this podcast. Things just kind of air questions out and, and think about things. But I just feel like there's a long way to go before really diving into that as a topic because, you know, he might be the starter by week three for all we know. He you definitely know? could be. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, because we're literally just playing this question as if Blake, like, plays like Blake out played his whole this entire year and next year. And did it to the point of, like, he's the starter yeah. again and then, you know, played all of the another, another year. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, there's a lot that we're just saying we're kind of fast-forwarding through. But, uh, in theory, yeah, that would be a very interesting situation. So, thank you, B. Lantham, for, for the uh, questions. Just a bear in frog world. What effect, if any, do you think adding more teams to the conference will have on gameplay? 
more teams to scout year to year. How do you guys, uh, well, I guess let's just answer that one first. I mean, it definitely changes things. I, I think it helps some teams, to be honest, because we've seen over the years this schedule you're, where you're having to play everyone in the league every single year and you get to kind of learn these tendencies and get to hone in on them every single year that you play them. Uh, I think that really helps, honestly. Um, and so having to shift it a little bit and have to figure out different play styles, different strategies, yeah, I think there is going to be an impact to that. Uh, I don't, you know, specifically Baylor, I mean, it could be positive, it could be negative. You just, it really comes down to how the game plan works on that very given week. Uh, let's see here. Uh, how do you guys feel about it as media members, and do you foresee the Pac 12 schools adopting an us versus them mentality? No, I don't see that. I mean, what's the point? You know, brag about the conference you just left that died. I mean, that's now a glorified American Athletic Conference, depending on what it looks like on the other end. So I think there'll be like some semblance of a rivalry, you know, just because they were kind of unwillingly being added, you know, from a fan's point of view of like they would rather have stayed in the Pac-12 if it were up to the fan bases or most, if not all of them. So I think there might be that initially, but I don't think they're like proud pack members of like they're bringing that flag over and like planning the flag for pack football. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I think they're just going to be, hey, we're from a different part of the country. We've been doing different things, and so our way is better. But I think eventually it all just it's going to be Big Twelve football. I mean, I don't think there's going to be you know any any massive differences or lines in the sand. I mean, let's be real about it. I think there's only two teams that you can honestly say that about. I think Colorado right. and Arizona wanted to move here. Yeah, I Colorado's really a Big 12 team anyways. Yeah. So. And I think Arizona wanted to be here as well. Arizona State is the only one that's been extremely vocal about you know their displeasure for some of the teams in the Big 12. Um, Utah... I think Utah was just very loyal. Again, I do think once they're in the Big 12 that they might change their tune. But I do know both those fan bases talked about how the Pac-12 is so much tougher. And I've heard so many teams talk, so many schools in the Pac-12 talk about, oh, you know, we're too good for the Big 12. Well, now they're in the Big 12, and I'm expecting them to shift that philosophy and end up being, you know, teams that are very loyal to the Big 12. And I'm hoping that when Utah comes to Waco to play Baylor, that there's a big ceremony-type thing, just like there was when Baylor played against BYU in twenty nine or 2021. Um, I'm hoping it's similar to that. We'll see. I think that's going to be a pretty cool environment, though. Uh, and I know the one against BYU was a great environment, so hoping it's near that. Yeah, I mean, I think there might be some, you know, tribalism, but that's going to dissipate pretty quickly once they're all in the conference. Yeah. It's just going to be, you know, the new Big 12. Doc Crowell, once they leave, do you think UT will ever schedule Baylor in football again? Yeah, I do. I don't have any time frame on that. I think they'll play everybody, though. I think they'll play TCU. I think they'll play Tech. I think they'll play everybody at some point in time. I just don't know what the order of importance will be. And uh, I do think, you know, Tech – had they actually pulled off the whole scheduling arrangement like they prematurely announced, and then, you know, obviously that fizzled out entirely, that would have been a huge coup for them. But I think part of the reason why it didn't go the way they thought was because I do think Texas intends on probably playing just about everybody at some point in time. Uh, I think it would be dumb to not have a home and away with TCU if you could have it as a part of your non-conference with your SEC schedule. Same with Baylor, same with Tech, same with... Houston, uh, whoever else you want to throw into that mix. So, yeah, I absolutely believe they will. 
I just think they'll probably be few and far between as far as meetings go, and I don't have any sort of a, a timeline on when that first meeting would even be. And it might take a little while. They might you know, want to wait and just kind of let it breathe a little bit, but I, eventually they will play again for sure. Yeah, and I mean, we'll see if Baylor will ever schedule UT in football again. I mean, it's this is a two-sided thing here, so we'll see how that ends up. I, I think in general we'll see them play again. But like you said, I mean, it could be a while. I mean, because if they are playing other teams in Big 12 or if it takes more time because of future schedules, um, it does make things more difficult. And I I know for Baylor, at least, they're going to have – they got series against Auburn and Oregon coming up at the end of the 2020s. So they're probably not going to play UT again until the 2030s unless they play them in a bowl. Which is a bigger, more important game to win, TCU or UT? I think it uh, depends on the situations. I mean – what if TCU is like a five-loss team, or I don't even know when they play each other in the year, but you know what I mean. Like Texas has already lost a couple games, or is Texas 5-0 and and they're number 10 in the country? Or is TCU like number 7 in the country and they're whatever their record is at that point in time? I think that matters there, but if you're just asking me straight up, um, I, you know, I'd normally say Texas. I think at this point you got to be TCU, though. Like that's the team that's in your conference. You've beaten Texas, and it's not really made that much of a difference in the long run. You're never going to topple them, but TCU's like they're not going away. They're they're your rival. They've had your number. There's a lot of crossover there. So to me, I actually think you know this year is an exception because it's unique. It's the last time you'll play Texas. So I think that the answer will always be for for a lot of people, Texas on their way out's a bigger deal. But man, at some point in time, you got to beat TCU. Like this is getting to the point of it's it's pretty ridiculous. Not that they've had the losing streak that they've had or the amount of losses. It's the way they've found to do it seemingly in every way imaginable. Getting blown out, losing the closest possible game, losing tight games, losing blowout. I mean, uh, it's it's been kind of ridiculously one sided. So where do you sit on this? The answer is absolutely TCU for me. I just I, I know the Texas game could mean a lot at the end of the year. I understand that. Last time you play Texas, that's cool and all, but Baylor's got to beat TCU. They haven't been able to do that uh, very consistently. TCU is going to be in the conference going forward. They're the biggest rival in my eyes uh, for this Baylor program. And the other part about this is Baylor plays them in November at TCU, and Baylor was absolutely dreadful in the month of November last year. They need to change that. They need to get better at closing the season, um, and I, I think that that game is going to be very important regardless of TCU's record. They they absolutely have to find a way to beat TCU this year, um, and, and it's on the road, too. I, I just think it means a lot more going forward. Finally, from Doc, we kind of touched on this earlier. How does Jackie Marshall's injury affect our D-line? I mean, it's a big loss, but they brought in Justin Sambu from Maine. He'll come in and hopefully help relieve that a little bit. They still got good depth at the front. They still got a good two deep in my eyes. I think the injury more so impacts kind of the ability to have a true three deep. I think they're more so a two deep now with a couple other guys who are really good, but not a true three deep. And Jackie, you know, Jackie had the opportunity to be a true difference maker for this defense. A guy that I was really, really excited about. I loved his film out of high school. I love what I saw last year uh, in moments and flashes and I really thought this year could be a breakout year for him so it's a bummer I think it hurts their upside a little bit but in general they did a nice job replenishing uh, the defensive line Bear sack where's the TTU love coming from almost the top 25 ranking when Baylor only gets three votes am I missing something or is this just the Joey hype machine working well let's not compare it to Baylor because like one doesn't really have to do with the other you know like and I don't see why Baylor should have gotten any more than three votes, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I, I see far more reason to vote 
Tech in the top 25 on paper than I do for Baylor. Um, but as far as the hype goes, it has been pretty overwhelming anywhere you look. Like, they're the sleeper candidate, and they're the big hype team to to watch in the Big 12 this year. I definitely think some of it's the Joey hype machine. I think he's very, like, just in general, they're very good about promoting their brand. Um, but I also think, like, you won eight games last year. You won your bowl game. You beat Oklahoma. You beat Texas. You've got sold-out season tickets. Like, there's just a lot of positive. You're recruiting really well. Um, you've got your healthy quarterback back that you hope can finally stay healthy for once. And a lot of other weapons from last year's team. So, you know, they got to get better on the O-line and, you know, shore up a couple of things. But they've got weapons. They've got their QB. Um, they've got, you know, all of their ducks in a row, and it seems. So I do think that that perhaps the hype's gotten a little out of control. But I also think that comes with the territory. And, um, you know, I'm that's one of those, too. I'm, I'm fascinated. Like, do they live up to all this offseason hype? Because there has been a lot of it. I mean, I mentioned this, what what was it, Craig, like three months ago, and I remember we were talking about it, and you were like, what hype? And now we've moved forward, and it's like, geez, it's just continued to build. And yeah, they're not a sleeper, by the way. If you see that written, if that magazine or whatever was written yeah. like three months ago, then okay. If it's been written anywhere <laughs> in the last two months, then they're not paying attention. Well, and when you're picked fourth in the Big 12 ahead of a team that was just the runner-up in the national championship, I mean, it, it's reached full hype mode. So everyone's really excited about Tech. I don't personally get it. I, I do think that they'll be a bowl team this year that's not saying much I think that they're probably going to be closer to a seven and five or an eight and four team as opposed to a 10 and two team that's actually going to win the big 12 that's just my feelings on it I don't think they're physical enough defensively nor are they physical enough on the offensive line that's my issue with them I think Baylor will be better than them just like they were a year ago when they went into Lubbock and beat them really really badly um, and and Tech has to come here uh, this year. So, yeah, I mean, I, I do I understand why you're asking this because it is kind of random to some people and out of nowhere. But if you've paid attention all summer and all spring, this is a team that's getting a lot of love from the media and from writers in the Big 12 that they could have this big breakout year. I just – I'm not a believer in it. That's all. I see why. I mean, I think I mentioned a lot of the reasons why. Um, I mean, certainly there's an affinity for Joey in the media around here that that automatically plays into a little bit. I think people want to see him succeed. I think people believe in him, and uh, and rightfully so. And I, I laid out starting quarterbacks back and finally healthy, and you got a lot of playmakers um, on offense. So I, I see it. I see the reasons why. I do think that it's like gotten a little bit far ahead of itself – like, we've almost, like, fast-forwarded a little bit. Um, that's my only issue with it, though. But I do think that they should be pretty good, and I'm fascinated to see, like, with all these other storylines, I mean, but them in particular, um, because of the way it's been talked up, I'm, I'm really interested to see what that team looks like. Um, but there's they're not hiding from the, the, the hype or anything. So, like, that, that tells you that it's not just – bluster that there's there's belief that no like we really think we're that good and so we'll see um but that just adds more spice to what is already a pretty spicy big 12 and uh, we will close it out with this bearcats who are our top three defenders at rushing the passer can anybody get to 10 sacks this season so once again 10 sacks only 14 players in the country got 10 sacks last year so it's just hard to put that expectation on anyone so i'm not going to predict that going into the season now Top three defenders at rushing the passer. It is TJ Franklin, Garmin Randolph, Byron Vons. Those are my top three pass rushers. Byron Vons, of course, the transfer from Utah State. Uh, Garmin Randolph and TJ Franklin, veteran guys who I do feel like have an opportunity to have career years. So those are the three I'm going to go with. 
Uh, sounds good to me. And uh, there's only been four double-digit sack guys in Baylor's yeah. entire history. It was James Lynch, Sean Oakman, Matthew Pearson in 1992, and John Garrett in 03. That is your entire list of Baylor Bears getting double-digit sacks. So it's happened a couple times uh, in the last 10 years. Uh, it's only happened four times in history. So, um, yeah, that's not likely, but, you know, there are candidates that potentially could, could get there. It's just not all that likely uh, yeah. in the long run. So, but no, I mean, those sound like good candidates. I mean, those are the usual suspects as far as who you'd expect to be getting to the quarterback and uh, causing some havoc. So that lines up and I uh, do appreciate the question to close us on out here. Uh, a lot of talk this week about, you know, getting in the backfield and sacks and all that. And I think just a lot of anticipation kind of feel, feeling out other opponents now as well and kind of looking around the Big 12 at what some of the storylines are. So a lot of fun that we're getting close. But, uh, Grace, anything before we go here? No, just be sure to check out Sikkim 365 Premium. We got all kinds of content, news and notes as fall camp continues to roll on and basketball and recruiting, everything like that. Be sure to check out the premium side of things. And, of course, 365 Sports Radio, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6. We will be back next Tuesday at uh, around noon, so you can check us live on YouTube or catch us after the fact via your favorite podcast feed or listen live on the Sikkim 365 app, which you can go download in the Apple Store right now if you haven't done that already. I definitely want to get that downloaded in time for football season. But thanks to, to Jack McKenzie and Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well, and thanks to those of you watching, listening, giving feedback, asking questions. We do appreciate you, and we will talk to you next time. This has been the BearCast on Sikkim365.com.